Hello, and welcome to Connected Commerce, Business Beyond Borders, the podcast from GBG. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring how businesses will prosper online while building customer trust in the digital world. Now, being as that's a broad and exciting topic, each episode I'll be joined by experts to discuss various subjects. Today, we're going to be chatting about the value placed on the exchange of personal data. And I'm really excited to be joined by two experts who have a load of knowledge in that area. First up, we have David Thomas, who leads product development for identity verification at GBG, and Keely Blair, Head of Cyber and Privacy Enforcement and Litigation at global law firm Oric. Welcome both. It's great to have you today. So personal data is a huge topic, one I'm sure we could create a whole entire podcast series for. But today I'm keen to chat about how, as consumers, our attitudes have changed regarding the exchange of our data and how the evolution of technology is enabling greater visibility. We're going to start right at the top. I'm going to go straight in with a question for you, Keely. Do you think our attitudes have or will change in the light of the COVID crisis? Thanks, Chris. I mean, that's a great question, right? Everyone at the moment, it's we're all talking about uh, personal data uh, and our approach to, to COVID-19. I think it's really important to touch on geography, first of all. Um, people have a different attitude to privacy and the collection and sharing of personal data, Often depend, and it often depends on where they come from. And there are some cultures where there is a much more of a collectivist culture, for example, China and South Korea, and where the population is more generally willing to share personal data in order to tackle the COVID-19 crisis. If we contrast that, however, with Europe and the UK, um, we see that um, citizens in, the, in, in Europe tend to be less likely and less willing to share their data, um, even if it is to tackle the COVID-19 crisis. This has a significant impact on things like the track and trace apps that we have seen being piloted um, and, their, and, their, and the varied success they've had across the globe. So we know obviously in the UK, we do not yet have a track and trace app, but one of the barriers to it was actually concerns around privacy and a centralised collection of data and trust in government being relatively low. By contrast, if you look at what happened in Singapore, um, there, was, there was wide uptake in relation to their track and trace app. So there's absolutely a geographical difference in terms of how people approach privacy, even in light of the COVID-19 crisis. But you can be absolutely sure that what's happening is more collection of personal data off the back of COVID-19. Great. Thanks, Keely. And how, how about you, David? How are you feeling about um, the same question in terms of our attitudes? Have they evolved? Um, and especially in light of um, the pandemic? Yeah, I think, um, Chris, you're spot on. There has certainly been a change. People have changed their approaches and mindsets towards the dissemination of personal data. But I think you've hit the nail on the head when you mentioned the word evolve, because it's an ongoing change. How we feel about these uh, d- these pieces of our personal information being distributed really depends on the situation. And uh, as Keely mentioned, that situation could be geographical. It could also be very much based on the nature of the transaction that requires that information. And that's what's driving the change on a more malleable and, and changeable basis. I, th- I think as well with evolution, you know, one of the things that we have to think about is is the evolution of legal and regulatory guidance in this space as well. You know, we have seen uh, global regulators having to react and change very quickly uh, and to be perhaps more permissible about what they would allow organisations to do uh, in light of, frankly, a public health threat, which is very different to a lot of the other times when we face privacy questions. So it absolutely does require a quicker and faster revolution to deal with a societal problem. 
Yes, spot on, Kitty. I would agree with that completely. I'd also say that there's two types of environments that we find ourselves in. Those that are regulated, for example, the financial services space, insurance markets, etc., and those that are non-regulated where we gain benefit from access to certain applications. And there certainly seems to be a willingness to trade that convenience for personal information as long as that specific process is made very clear to the person that's sharing that information and they have full understanding of why it is that that information is being used. Some fantastic points there from from both of you. So, and David, you finished off there talking about convenience. And, and for me, there's there's two other elements that that feed into that and feed into essentially the changes that we're that we're seeing. And that's um ease and speed. So when you combine those three together, so ease, speed, and convenience, that is essentially what is driving consumer demand um, and how technology is. Um, evolving to keep up with that demand but also i see it as technology is as technology evolves and innovates that is changing and and providing um greater exposure to what new customer experiences could be like so i know um there's lots of other ways in which um personal data can be used so let's let's just touch on on that slightly in terms of customer experience and that demand and then david a, a question for you really around what do you see those um, those changes in technology being to help evolve that um, that consumer demand? Very good question. So, Chris, just if we bear in mind that we have this incredibly powerful piece of technology in our hands with us at all times these days, the use of mobile cameras to replace uh, text-based entry gives us so much more opportunity to capture information more quickly. And as a result, when coupled with the fact that we are able to present our facial biometrics, and on some occasions, even our fingerprint biometrics to devices, the convenience factor is very much in our hands at all times. The the big question is, for a consumer, at what point do we consider that currency of identity and biometric information to be relevant to the, the service or good that we're trying to access? And the question we have now is, with the convenience, how is it that the regulator is able to protect us against our desire to, to leverage that convenience as quickly and as often as we possibly can? We, we tend to, as consumers, just plow ahead with new technologies because they are extremely convenient. But I think it's a, a very important positioning factor that the regulator ensures that we all understand what the risks could potentially be to disseminating such information. One of the things we talked about there was was convenience, um, but also necessity. We're starting to see now as well. There, there's a there's a real need for people to adopt technology that they otherwise might have felt uncomfortable adopting. And so, you know, the people like us who work in this industry and the regulators who regulate it, um, we now have it's now incumbent upon us to help make those who would have been reluctant adopters of this technology as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible to enable them to access this new raft of services, which are not just open to them for convenience, but also now for necessity. You look at, for example, medical appointments over over video um, and, and you think about, OK, well, there's a large portion of the population that previously may not have been comfortable with that. But now to protect their health, that they're willing to do that. But we need to be able to give them the confidence that we are processing their personal data in a way that is secure, that there's privacy by design employed, and that we are always thinking about the customer experience throughout. 
I think that privacy by design is is fundamental as well. And you've just spoken there, Kili, about the um, necessity to adopt new technologies. I actually think there's another angle to that as well in terms of um, looking at um, new adopters of technology as they come into come into uh, contact with technology. So my my daughters, their primary school age, when they use the new iPad they can um, unlock that really easily. When they use the old iPad, they're, they're running in saying, I'm looking at it, but it's not changing what, what's going on. And I think there's um, a case of how we, how um, younger people grow up with that technology and their demands will be completely different to say what yours or mine are or um, what my parents, grandparents may, may be looking at as well. So that's really interesting, that point on privacy by design. Will need to evolve as well. I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Um, how, how is that gonna, how is that gonna turn out? Do you think in terms of our demands as consumers, but also what we need to collect to make sure technology continues to evolve? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting because you know, obviously, that in Europe we've got the GDPR, which which mandates privacy by design, um, and essentially what what that should mean is that we are. You know, privacy, privacy lawyers and privacy professionals should be working hand in hand with product developers from the get go, from that concept moment uh, throughout the development of a product and into customer launch and beyond to constantly be thinking about the user experience from a convenience and access and ticking the regulatory boxes point of view, but, but also to, to make sure that companies are adhering to their legal obligations around privacy by design. It's not just a catchphrase, right? It's, it, it, it's really fundamentally important to that question of, of digital trust. Um, and I think also, you know, the point you made earlier around about, on about the difference between digital natives, you know, our, our children who are growing up in this technology world uh, versus the rest of us um, and, and how comfortable they are with adopting things. But also, I've been I've been frankly quite impressed by how my parents have adapted to, to digital technology uh, in light of what they've had to do. Um, but again, it's it's that point of sharing information with our customers, being transparent about what we use their data for, giving them secure giving them information about how we keep their data secure and safe and how we use it for specific purposes all of those things are so key frankly to to how we all work together in this environment i think to bring the best possible things to our customers but also to protect them yeah i think Kili, if i can add to that it's, i think that there is a communal responsibility across the board whether it's from the regulatory perspective or from the perspective of a parent teaching their child how to use devices these days and that responsibility extends to us ensuring that there is comprehensive knowledge of what is entailed when one supplies your personal identifiable information or your biographical information to anybody via any digital device. Education around points like, is your information going to leave the device and be transferred to another network that's outside of your control? Uh, what is going to be used uh, as far as your personal identifiable information is concerned for processing your application or if you are using a biometric process to unlock a device, is that something that's absolutely essential? And do you know what happens to your information once you've achieved the task that you wanted to achieve? A good example of that is your parents who, out of necessity, are becoming late adopters, as are mine, to a lot of these technological advances, whereas our kids will go ahead and use these technological advances without even thinking. So you've got two ends of the spectrum there, and I think there's a as I say, a global 
communal type responsibility to ensure that safety is, is maintained and people are protected throughout this process. Generation Zoom, as we've seen and, and we've heard about, actually isn't just, um, it, it's everybody who's um, working through current situation and also how that is going to become just a way of life as we move forward. Keely, you mentioned um, uh, doctor's appointments over, over video, um, and I'm sure that this will become, there will be a new normal that we all have to get used to, obviously, as we as we move forward and and um, hopefully soon outside of the current restraints that we have. Um, the the other point I was going to mention actually, and 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 ask you to comment on was obviously we spoke about privacy by design, and we've also mentioned two other key elements of that as well. So compliance and security, which you can wrap up into into trust. Um, and I was just interested. Um, Keely, on your views there around the digital sort of economy or internet businesses and how important trust is within that um, in the framework of product development and obviously making sure compliance regulation is, is met and also the technology elements. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, it, digital trust is, is fundamental and customers and consumers will vote with their feet and ask all businesses now. We're starting to see uh, commercial reactions to organisations who have lost digital trust and people choosing to advertise with different platforms, for example, or choosing to, to, to associate with different brands. And all of that comes down to, to trust around, around privacy, around, um, authenticity online as well being very important. I think one of the points that David made earlier on, which I think is, is, is really important to understand when we talk about compliance and security is the difference between, uh, pr- privacy and information which is stored locally on people's devices uh, versus um, wider um, sharing of information. Uh, and it, within that, you know, the difference between biomet- use of biometric technology, which is stored locally. So when I use my iPhone to open to, my face to open my iPhone, for example, um, versus, you know, wider surveillance and, and use of AI and the risks involved around that. There's been discussion about racial bias, for example, in, in that wider space of surveillance technology and AI. Um, but it's important to treat those two things as quite quite different subject matters because they require a, a different level of nuance and a different different thought around, frankly, the compliance and security aspects of those things. And so when organisations are looking at developing technology, they need to think both how is it going to be stored, what is the purpose, adhere to the data protection principles set out in the GDPR around transparency, data minimization. think about your retention periods, all of that sort of privacy 101 stuff um, is very, very important. But you need to understand ultimately what the data flow and the life cycle is of the data within that and be very clear from the outset when you're designing your product, but then on launch and continue to communicate with your customers throughout the journey. And if you decide to change what you're doing, go back and tell the customer again, engage with them. It's, it's so important. It's not just your legal obligation, but it builds digital trust. It enables organizations to, to enables customers to use and continue to create brand loyalty around those people who they trust with their personal data and those people who they don't. It's such a well put point, Kili. To be fair, there's so many touch points at which this becomes extremely relevant and, and important. Uh, you mentioned, of course, customers voting with their feet. That is one very clear and present and, and fairly obvious example of how uh, trust is, is established in increments over time and could be abolished and diminished in seconds. 
But at the same time, the risk extends far beyond a customer walking away. They have repercussions in the event of their trust having been broken. And the resultant fines that can be regulated on organizations are immense, not to mention the reputational damage that, it can, t- that can take place. And in all honesty, the truth of the matter is that it's a relatively simple process with a, a complicated implementation. If you keep a methodology around, as you say, communicating with your customer, communicating with your stakeholders and hiding nothing, having a transparent process that everybody understands and maintaining the communication when there is a change, you are, even if the customer doesn't, uh, doesn't particularly like the friction component of it, you are communicating with them regularly and therefore continuing to build up trust and maintain that trust fabric over time. So the, the, there's a few things there that I picked up on. And I think the, the, the one that stands out for me is actually the, the commercial reactions that leads into, um, um, brand reputation. So I think what we will see, um, is, um, a trust element becoming a far more important part of, um, brand's personality as we move forward and using that as a as a way to further establish enhance their brand with their consumers or um, business business customers if that's um as i think it will be important for everybody I'm going to move on to a question that I'm actually asking all of our guests um, when we're doing this podcast series. And I really appreciate your your time with me talking about this important topic today. Keely, I'm going to come to you first, actually, and ask this question. And David, if you wouldn't mind us answering the same question. Um, and that is, what is the single most important thing businesses can do now to maintain trust? So for me, we talked about this beforehand, and so I don't want to steal David's thunder because he had a lovely, nice, succinct way of putting it. So I'm just going to pick up on the one of the words that he he mentioned earlier on, which which I think is key, which is transparency. Um, because what transparency enables customers to do is to see the value of the service that they're getting and to understand the value exchange involved in giving over information which is personal to them in order to access a better service or to access a service at all or for it to be convenient. Um, But transparency is what enables that open exchange of values and that open exchange of information. And without that, the the exchange, to to my mind, is sort of null and void. Um, It hasn't been freely given, hasn't been freely entered into. Um, So for me, it's it's transparency. I would agree completely. I'd say that in order to or to best leverage that transparency, one needs to communicate exceptionally well. Communication is key at all times. And one needs to have a shared accountability. And that's an understanding that can only come from the transparency that Kili has mentioned. Yeah. And the thing with accountability is, you know, you can bet your bottom dollar, your regulators are going to are going to hold you accountable for it. Um, so you should always be accountable to your customers um, first off. And the regulator will almost follow thereafter, won't they? Indeed, but the prevention is always better than the cure. So we also have to hold ourselves accountable and take responsibility for our own personal identifiable information and not simply rely on regulatory frameworks to protect us. That education component is crucial. Yeah, and that's the point actually I was making around trust being so much more, actually it's more than a personality. It's a, it's a, it's a value that each company, every company needs to, to make sure is built within their DNA. 
Great. That was um, a fantastic conversation. Um, thanks again to both of you for A, taking the time out and, uh, and B, joining me on this podcast to, to have a, a really constructive conversation. So thank you, um, Keely, and thank you, David. So, and that's it for this podcast. Um, feel free to join in to the to next episode of Connected Commerce Business Beyond Borders from GBG. 